Just in case you don't know who I am, I'm one of the Latinos across the hall. <laughs> what a blessing it is for me to be here with you guys today. Uh, the text we're going to be reading this morning comes from the book of Philippians chapter 2. And we're going to be reading from verses 1 through 9. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. We're going to put the verses on the screen, but if you have a Bible... Please feel free to go there and read from Scripture. Philippians chapter 2, verses 1 through 9. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from, be, from His love, if any common sharing in, his, in the Spirit... If any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in a spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit, rather in humility, value others above yourself, yourselves not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interest of others. In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus, who being in the very nature of God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant, being made in a human likeness, and being found in the appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death and a cross therefore god exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name this is the word of the lord as we continue our series in um in um of god's design for singleness and marriage i think that it's important that we look in this section right here in this piece of, the, of scripture a uh, good definition of the Christian worldview and relationships. You know, whether or not you're married, whether or not you're single or married, relationships are extremely important. A good definition of relationships is extremely important. Let me tell you one reason why it's so important. Number one, and I think the most important reason, is because you are, by nature, by design, a relational being. You were created in the image of God, and God is a relational being. In other words, to be fully human or to live out your humanity, you must live in a context of relationships. We don't function well without relationships. As one author once said it, he says, we know we are less than human when we are all alone. That's why I think Paul talks about relationships here. This is the thing, though, that even though we know that relationships are good, sometimes, and are important all the time, relationships tend to be messy, and relationships tend to be complicated, and relationships tend to be painful many times. And I think part of the reason why we go through that is because 
sometimes in relationships, we expect way too much of people. And sometimes in relationship, we really don't value the relationship. And sometimes it is easier to isolate yourself or it is easier to run from a relationship than to fight for it. And sometimes we just don't know the reality of our own hearts. That's why relationships are messy. That's why the title of the message today is Relationships, a mess worth making or a mess worth having. It is important, and yet it's painful. So what Paul is going to do here is going to give us three things, at least three points, if you will, uh, in order for us to have relationships that actually flourish. And of course, since we are talking about marriage, you have to pay attention to this. Because this is extremely important in marriage. So these are my three points for today. We need to have an external orientation. We need to have an internal realization. And we need to have a powerful transformation. External orientation, internal realization, powerful transformation. You have no idea what it took for me to find those words that will rhyme. <laughs> so please pay attention. Let's go with the first one, external orientation. One of the things that I love about Philippians, um, this church that, that, Paul, uh, that Paul founded, is that the whole letter is about joy, for example. And, and when Paul writes this letter, he knows that he's about to die. We know that because of chapter 1. We know also that Paul writes this letter because he wants this church that he so much loves to continue to grow in faith. We know that what Paul wants from these people is to live out lives or to live lives that are worthy of the gospel of Jesus Christ. All of that is in chapter 1. Now, let me tell you why it's so significant, I think, uh, for me that Paul wrote this, because if he knows that he's about to die because of his faith, He's about to be executed because of his faith. He knows that the last things that he wants to say better be good things. He knows that if there's a message that he needs to transmit or, or share, this is the time to do it. There's not much time. What I say, he thinks, better count. And this is what is interesting. One of the topics here is relationships. That's why in verse 5, he says, intentionally, in your relationships with one another. Now, I think that I could summarize his theology and relationships in one phrase alone. Paul believes that in order for a relationship to flourish, we must be others-oriented. We must have not an internal orientation, but an external orientation in order for any relationship to work. And let me prove it to you. So he uses certain phrases that actually clarify the point. In verse 3, for example, he calls us and he calls the church to do nothing out of selfish ambition. You know what that means, right? He's calling the church to do everything for the sake of another person. To do everything, not expecting anything in exchange, is to become a servant of others. 
And you would say, well, Hannibal, you're reading way too much into that sentence. Do you know what's interesting? Paul, his favorite word to describe himself is a servant. Someone that is willing to deny himself to serve another person. The second phrase that we have there, he calls us to do nothing out of vain conceit. That has to do with pride. It's to do something for someone, not so you can feel better about yourself, but for the sake of the other person. And then he says, he calls us to value others above yourself. Now, notice that he, he doesn't say that other people is more important than you. What he does say is that the attitude of our heart ought to be to value other people as if they were more important than you. You know, our word value, it's a leadership word. It's a word that is used in the Bible to describe someone that has authority, a leader or a guide, someone that is worth of your respect, admiration, and someone that is worthy to be followed. So what Paul calls this church, Philippi, and us today to do is to value others as people that are worthy of our respect, admiration, and why not? To follow. And then in verse 4, he says, don't look for your own interests, but the interests of others. Now, I love that phrase. Because he says that if I invest myself in a relationship, if I pursue a relationship, single or married, if I'm in a relationship, I'm not there to fulfill my desires. I'm not there to fulfill my dreams. I'm not there to fulfill my needs. It's all about the other person. How do you like that? Let me tell you what I went through as, as I'm preparing this. I'm saying that's not fair. I don't like that. What do you mean I, got to, I have to think about everybody else before I think about myself? I think that Paul is way too radical in his explanation of relationships. Hold on a second, Hannibal, you might say. You mean to tell me that I am to invest myself with somebody and not expect anything in exchange? Well, that's not what he's saying, but what he's saying is that this, that's the last thing you should think about. What Paul says is that we ought to invest in relationship. In relationship, I ought to invest my time, my gifts, my money, my everything for somebody else's sake. Now, I, I would like you to try to be as honest as you can with yourself today. But that ought to bother you. Because that definition of relationships is not a very popular definition of relationships, even within the church. Like we all expect something in exchange. We all believe in entitlement somehow. Maybe not all the time and not with everyone, but at one point in your life, and at one point during your week, and at one point today, you will expect someone to do something for you. How about if I tell you that we have been influenced by a secular definition, secular definition of relationships, a secular worldview on relationships. 
So just, just let me give you three. How is it that I hear people talking about relationships, romantic and or not? For some people, a relationship is more like a business transaction. I'm going to put my investment here, and this investment better produce. I have to expect anything, in ex something in exchange. So this is what people will say. If I don't get anything in exchange... This is a bad business. This is not working. You know what I ought to do? It's just run away. Well, maybe some people don't see relationships like that, but maybe some people see relationships as a consumer relationship. What I mean by that is this. I'm going to be with you. I'm going to spend my time with you. I'm going to give you my gifts and my talents and everything that I have. As long as the product that you give me, I like But the moment I don't like it, I have to look for a better store for the clearance section. Something that will give me something better, maybe? Something cheaper? Something that will fulfill what I really want. Don't you think that's a crazy definition of a relationship? Maybe it's not a business definition, maybe it's not a consumer definition, but maybe it's that we expect people to be a finished product. What I mean by that is this. Listen, most of us, especially if you got married years ago, well, actually, no, everybody today, there is this idea that whenever we're going to establish a relationship with somebody, they have to be a finished product. In other words, that they don't have to change much, and that you don't have to change much. You know, just look at any of those commercials or eHarmony or one of those. And you would actually hear people saying, I'm looking for someone that will fully understand me. Who is he talking about? <laughs> I will, I'm asking, I'm looking for someone that will not require for me to change. Who is he talking about? So let, let, me, let me share with you a little secret, okay? It's just for us, the thousand of us here. My wife, Heidi, has been married four times with four different guys. And every single one of those, me. <laughs> Stop judging. <laughs> Let me finish the thoughts. The, Heidi, the, the, the Hannibal that Heidi met in high school is not the same Hannibal that she met when we got married. And the, the Hannibal that she met later on is not the same one five years later. And he's not the same Hannibal 15 years later. Any healthy relationship requires people to change. We can't expect people to be the, finish, the, the finished product. The secret is to stick around for you to see what the Lord does in that person. That's a biblical relationship. That's what it means to have relationships. That's what it means to be married, people. You don't expect a finished product. You don't expect this to be a business relationship or a consumer relationship. You stick around until the Lord does what he needs to do. 
Can you see why the biblical definition of marriage is completely different to anything else? Can you see why the biblical definition of relationships in the Bible, even if it's not romantic relationships, is completely different to everything else? Did you know that that is the only definition of love in the Bible? It's not this emotional thing. It's not the butterflies that I feel when I see you. It's about you choosing the best interest of the other person. Did you know that that's the biblical definition of submit in the Bible? Interesting because Paul, in his famous passage on marriage, if you see chapter 5, right before he starts talking about roles, he says this, submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. That word submit is an amazing word because it literally means you place yourself under something, for his benefit, her benefit, help, and support. That's what submit is. It's to place yourself under someone to hold them up. There's no business there. There's no consumer relationship there. It's love. The more I think about this, the more I see what Jesus Christ did for us, the more I am convinced of this. Real love is not just about the things you give. Real love is about the things you sacrifice. I could give my wife thousands of gifts and yet not be willing to die. Real love is not just about giving. It's about self-denial. It's sacrificial love. Can you see why relationships by nature are others-oriented? It's an external orientation. It's not about us. Now, let's, if we stop there, I'm, I'm sure that most of you at one point in your life probably heard something like that before. Actually, let's do a quick assessment. How many of you guys ever heard of a definition of love like that? Oh, praise God, like three of you guys. Good. <laughs> but the idea is this, that for most of us, the problem is not lack of information. Like most of us know that that's what real love looks like. Why do you think that we love so much romantic movies? You know, you don't like the romantic movies when both are selfish. You like the romantic movies when someone is willing to give it all for the love of his or her life. And we're like, <laughs> you actually look at your spouse in the middle of the movie, you're like, why can't you be like that? <laughs> and you know what she does? Why can't you be like that? Why do you think that we love hero movies? Because a good hero would die to save people. Actually, the best movies, I had a movie in mind, but I can't use it because it's rated R. Like The Passion of the Christ. 
But it's when this hero dies to bring freedom to his country. Freedom! Oh, I'm going to get in trouble. <laughs> we love that. That's a definition of love. So why do we struggle with it if we already know that? Simple. We don't know what we already have. We don't know the reality of our hearts. And this is my second point. That's why you need an internal realization. You really need to know that you don't know the reality of your heart. You can say, well, that's not true, Hannibal. I know myself. Really. If you want to know what our problem is, all you have to do is use the same words that Paul used to describe what a healthy relationship is and flip it around and see if it's true for you. True for you. So let me put it this way. When Paul calls us to do nothing out of selfish ambition, you got to ask the question, do I do anything for in relationships for selfish ambitions? Am I more interested in receiving than in giving? Am I doing things of, out of vain conceit? Am I seeking to satisfy my desires and my dreams and my comfort? Or am I doing it for somebody else? Am I actually valuing, valuing the person next to me as superior to me? Ooh, that's a hard one. Do I think that his needs or her needs are more important than mine? Am I demanding respect? Am I demanding anything? Just with those questions, you should be able to see the reality of your heart. You know what's interesting, though? That I'm convinced that the Lord uses relationships as one of the means of grace, one of the ways in which we actually grow to be like Jesus. In his beautiful and perfect design, the almighty and perfect God designed relationships to show us what we really are. Only a good father would do that. A good father would use anything and everything to show us what is destroying us. Now, a person that really explains this really well will be Tim Keller in his book, um, The Meaning of Marriage. So I'm going to do, what I'm going to do is I'm going to do a modification of a quote that I found there uh, just for the sake of the conversation here. Look at what he says. Look at what happened in relationships. If you are a fearful person, relationships reveal your tendency toward great anxiety. If you are a proud person, Relationships reveal your tendency to be opinionated and selfish. If you are an inflexible person, relationships reveal your tendency to be demanding, demanding and sulky if you don't get your own way. If you are an abrasive or a harsh person, relationships reveal that people tend to respect you more than what they love you. This is Tim Keller, okay, so be upset of him. If you are an undisciplined person, relationships reveal your tendency to be unreliable and disorganized. If you are an oblivious person, relationships reveal your tendency to be distractive, 
distracted, insensitive, and unaware of how you come across to others. If you're a perfectionist, relationships, relationships reveal your tendency to be judgmental and critical of others and also to get down on yourself. If you're impatient, relationships reveal your tendency to hold grudges and to lose your temper way too often. If you're a highly independent person, relationships reveal your tendency to not be responsible for the needs of others, who dislike having to make joint decisions, and who most definitely hates to ask for any help yourself. See, in light of that, we could never blame anyone about any of our struggles. I could never go to Heidi and say, baby, I was never like this until I met you. <laughs> That's not true. It was always there. Maybe people told me and I just ignored them. Maybe nobody ever told me. The beauty of a godly relationship is that you could tell the other person, this is what I see in you. Can you see why relationships are a means of grace? I could honestly say before the Lord that I am a better man today because of my wife. And my wife is a better woman today as a Christian because of me. Because we both got the worst of us in our relationship. There's no finished product. You have to learn how to change. You have to learn to put others before you. Listen, that is extremely important if you're not married. Because that's the only foundation for relationships. But if you're married, you better believe that. There is no healthy marriage unless you have that. Last I checked, the Lord Jesus washed the disciples' feet and not the other way around. Can you see why relationships are so messy yet so beautiful, so needed? So the question is this, can we do this? Is it possible for people to live this and believe this? I would say, yeah, it is possible. Possible doesn't mean perfection. Possible means that there's people here that could actually grow into be people like that. The question is how? And Paul is going to make it really simple. Remember how I told you that my definition of love is not just about giving but also sacrificing? It's not just about giving things but actually giving up things for the sake of another person. What is interesting, though, is that in the text, it displays Jesus as a person that does both things. He gives something, and he surrenders something. In verse 1, you see, for example, that the Lord Jesus Christ gives us encouragement, comfort from his love, sharing in his spirit, tenderness, and compassion. It is because of our union with Jesus Christ that we get all of that. 
We have someone that sticks around with us, that understands us, that sees us the way he, will, he wants to see us, that he would always do whatever is needed in, for, the, for us. That's a gift. You know why that's so important? Because if you have that, you don't need it from people around you. If you have that, you don't demand anything from anybody else. You have it all in Jesus. But that's only half love. Because Jesus not only gives, but he surrenders. And that's why from verses 5 to 9, you find phrases like, he denied himself. He made himself nothing. He became a servant. He humbled himself. He died on the cross. Real love is about self-sacrifice. This is the thing. God is not asking you to do something that he did not do for you already. You could only give that to others if you already have it. You cannot give anyone anything that you don't have do you have that do you know why we struggle with self-centeredness and pride we forget or we just don't know what we already have in jesus christ jc riley this a pastor and theologian a long time ago said it like this. The person who really knows himself and his own heart, who knows God and his infinite majesty and holiness, who knows Christ and the price at which he was redeemed, that person will never be a proud person. He will count himself like Jacob, unworthy of the least of all God's mercies. He will say of himself like Job, I am unworthy. He will cry like Paul, I am the worst of sinners. He will consider others better than himself. Ignorance. Nothing but sheer ignorance. Ignorance of self, ignorance of God, ignorance of Christ is the real secret of pride. But if you know it, and if you believe it, and you embrace it, you could die for others. You could die for your spouse. You could love well. Amen? Let's pray. Lord Jesus, what a beautiful thing it is to know that you never require anything of us that you did not give us first. It is only out of the fullness of our heart with the gospel that we get to give to others, even if they don't deserve it. Because we know that we got your love and your acceptance. 
even when we did not deserve it. Please make that real to us in the name of Jesus. Amen.